Hello, and welcome to Effective Conversations with Yael Feiner. Each episode is a unique journey into a polarizing topic where we go beyond the facts, explore the underlying emotions, and learn something new about ourselves. Our topic for today is the environmental movement and its lack of effectiveness. I'm talking with Alex, a former Green Party activist, a strong advocate for nuclear power who believes in gradual change rather than radical action. We touch on critical thinking, neuroscience, learning from history, and the often ignored benefits of the oil and gas products. So maybe we can start with uh, some background, like, uh, are you conservative? Are you liberal? What's your connection with economy? I saw you had a long post on the Facebook about uh, economy and Canada debt. So tell me something about it. You know, I find those labels really depressing yes. to hear. And, and let me tell you why. We've come to a place in our evolution and, and use of technology where labeling is a shortcut, right? I mean, we need labels as a species. It's a shortcut. It, they're useful. But on the other hand, once we label something, we attribute uh, certain qualities or certain archetypes that we associate with those. Um, symbols, those labels. And um, we have a really hard time looking for information outside of our preconceived ideas about what those labels. Thank you for saying that. Mean. Um, so <laughs> case in point. Um, now I know that 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 you are in your journey, you're, you're exploring not only uh this for yourself but um in the throes of of getting an audience that will help you and maybe someday reward you for your your time and effort um and in that regard you have to do certain things like you you have to um develop a brand you're out to do something right so you develop a brand and in When I noticed um, uh, yesterday, I, I looked at your, your Twitter and I get Twitter. I know it's, you know, it's, it's a real chatterbox, um, a lot of unfiltered emotion, um, a lot of, yeah. um, in some cases, echo chambers. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a, turds? quite frankly, nerds? mostly turds. <laughs> And a few pearls <laughs> turds and pearls right there's a few pearls in there but yes. you have to sift through 80 or 90 percent of the turds like every to, social to media find those pearls. so um yes yeah we so we do that and i i'm at a place where um when i receive a question like that My gut instinct is if I say that, that or that of the list that you provided, that you're going to compartmentalize me. And what I have to say, if it agrees with that archetype of, of that compartment, then you're likely to absorb it. But if it goes against that, it, it's, it becomes much more difficult for you to. Um, be open to that 
So to answer your question in a roundabout way, um, and, and I'm going to circle back to, I, I suspect why you contacted me through Keith. I, I only know Keith through, he was a part of the board of a piece of land that I, um, an association that I belong to uh, on Kootenai Lake. And that's how I met Keith. And I, I love that place because it's, it's full of so many almost characters. You know? It's officially run by the Unitarian Church, but it has no pastoral type activities there you know it's 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 just a place for people uh, that want to ascribe to the values of the, of mm -hmm. the wilderness because it is pure wilderness um, on the lake and that that almost hippie 70 lifestyle that we had and and how nelson was born i think <laughs> i think most of the characters that you probably know in town or many of them are the children or grandchildren of the hippies that came to Nelson and made it what it is today. To circle back to that, the, the answer is, I, I should cut my answer a bit shorter. Keith is very, very deeply emotional about the state of the world and ecosystems, climate change, and, and so on. And I... I give him full marks for that. When he described to me his yeah. feelings, he started to actually cry. And that, that, that touched me. You know, when a person feels that deeply about a cause, that, that touched me. And so you know, I met him about two years ago, I would say. I haven't had a run-in with him since. But I, I grew conscious of something in the environmental movement that a couple of things that actually started to bother me and i, I wanted to i think nowadays people use uh in the old days we used to have diaries now we just go on Invent. facebook yeah or, or twitter or you know we 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 need the we have a creative <laughs> uh, urge to put some words out or to put something out in the world um, and to, but to do it, hopefully respectfully and, and kindly and, and wisely. And so what I found with Keith was, and he seemed to be in this echo chamber, um, was that they weren't, they didn't appear to be very critical thinkers as a group. By that, I mean, they're so concerned about and I used to be a member of the Green Party. I even contributed a fair amount of um, my income to a campaign. But what I found after that journey was that there isn't a lot of thought being put into second and third and fourth order effects of what they propose to do and how they propose to do it. It, it, it seems to me a lot similar to in the seven, uh, 60s and 70s, the Vietnam War was a big thing. That's what resulted in Nelson. But it was an age of revolt, rebellion, okay. revolt yeah. to change the system of revolution. Yeah. And I, I, I sense that we're kind of, at least south of the border, maybe 
you know, what happens south of the border typically happens five years later in Canada, or ten, five to ten years, that we're moving into that phase now uh, with many people. Uh, they're so upset with the current environment, structures, etc., that they they lash out and and they want an immediate change. Now, when that happens, good things can happen. But I think if we look at the course of history, by and large, many, if not most of the revolts ended up mm -hmm. in terrible situations. Ghastly. Death and, I mean, you know, just look at Eastern Europe and you know very well. Um, we need to in a sense, be responsible for thinking critically. I found that lacking. Um, Is it lacking for environmentalists? Can you say who are environmentalists? Yes. <laughs> you know what? That, that is a very good question. Um, because I think if you got 10 of them together and tried to get them to come up with one particular, you'd still have a problem, right? And, and then to try to get, I mean, never mind what they are, if you have to use a label, but what they stand for. And so would you say environmentalists are uh, people that work for the Green Party and for uh, Sandal Terrace maybe, or environmentalists are people that doing blockade and going to strikes and saying, don't kill the trees. What is environmentalist for you? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I would say more the latter and the discourse that I saw. And so, so the first thing that I found about the movement and it just wasn't. So if we look at humans, when we have a problem that we need to deal with, we tend to first underreact and then we go and overreact. And then if you follow the wave, it converges, you know, it, 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 it's, it, if you look at it as a wave, it's like a big wave that peters out, you know, it goes up and down, up and down, and then it reaches a new stasis, uh, uh, a new state that is, is long lasting, right? So in terms of the environmental movement, if we go back to when first the climate crisis became apparent, I think boring when when that science came out if you were to ask if this is true and and back in that in those days their level of confidence in their models was quite poor actually right they they got better with their models over time but if you were to go back then and ask the environmentalists of the day do you think that we should pursue the option of nuclear power to try to avoid this crisis. Overall, do you think we would do less damage to the planet? And I was there at that time, and it was clear that the environmentalists of the day were dead set, dead set against nuclear power, right? You lived in Israel for a while, right? most of my life yeah 
and you had most of your life. So you had nuclear power there. You lived next to nuclear power, not very far, I presume. And do you feel unsafe because of But we don't use it for power. We use it only for a right nuclear bomb. I don't know if it's different. Well, um, I, I think you probably use it for power too, I think. No? It, well, you see, okay, well, some types of nuclear um, reactors um, do better at producing plutonium, which is what the army, yeah, the arms industry wants. Yeah, exactly, right. Yeah. In, in any event, back then, it, you know, it was terrible to be to be pro nuclear. You, you could never consider to be yourself in love with Mother Earth and also be pro nuclear. But with the benefit of hindsight now, if we had started back then to really focus on safety, on efficiency, effectiveness, repeatability, I mean, you have to, it's not, it's one thing to create something. It's another thing to create something that you can reproduce on an industrial scale for an appropriate cost. So let's see if I'm following you. Um, so the point you're making is that the nuclear power could solve the greenhouse gas emissions problem that we have today if we were to prioritize it back then. And you also say that the environment movement is that one that prevented that move to invest in nuclear power. Is that right? We weren't there. I, I, I mean, we could speculate, but I don't think we know. And, you know, engaging in that kind of uh, rhetoric about, I think they would have done this or... But either or environmentalists didn't support nuclear back then and also not supporting that today. And you're referring this to the critical thinking issue and not being able to think in long terms. And you're talking about the rush to stop the destruction, like in a revolution, and that at the same time we're causing new problems and more death. Um, yeah. And it reminds me that the investment uh, people that I was interviewing, they're talking about stop divestment. And I was asking, so what's the alternative? And there's not always an answer for that. Exactly. Yeah. So that's... Yeah. Yeah. I actually, you know, when, when I listened to, that was a podcast that uh, I listened to that said to me, okay, I, I should talk to you because she's a good person <laughs> and, and her intentions are, are wonderful. It, it was a podcast about this engineering <laughs> student at McMaster who is <laughs> an environment. And I, maybe, maybe that's what you're alluding to. But I, I listened to him and I, and I thought to myself, okay, this person, I'm maybe a bit of a contrarian, or I, I like to reverse that to critical thinking. This person uh, just said he's, he's in engineering, but he really wants to be what would loosely be called a politician or someone that is able to direct engineering into a, yeah. a direction that is green like he doesn't want to do engineering he just wants to manage engineering at a political level so he can direct it somehow i thought to myself okay so 
you're spending money to learn a technical skill and then not only are you spending money but the government is probably spending two or three times as much as you're putting in yeah. or maybe half i i don't know what the ratio is anymore it's changed in years but it's considerable and you're going to then say well you know i really want to be more of a politician in terms of directing things which maybe have a small technical element to them but he wouldn't be doing technical work he would be doing something quite different right and that kind of rubbed me the wrong way like why why would you not just stop what you're doing <laughs> and if you're going to be a politician then just learn how to be a really good communicator and and you know learn history and political science Interesting. And, because i think that's what he really wants to do that's his passion is is the politics there's the politics of things right but anyway um interesting point you're making here it might be not that straightforward approach of him but i personally really impressed by him and you know he invests so much time thinking money on the cause of livable future and i think understanding the industry from within can give him credibility well you know a lot of people will say that and the loud ones are the ones that get all the the press and attention but I think most people are more flexible than we give them credit for. It, it's all a matter of how we talk to them. And the proposals that this chap, honorable intentions and so on, were inexpensive. It didn't cost him very much. And they weren't really going to be, I think, very effective. But well, part of that is because he's young and and all young people have wonderful intentions of of changing the world and in his case what i think what was happening was that he's convinced that for example the divestment piece the person that that's not critically thinking might believe that if, if you divest your shares in a company that somehow that's going to reduce the negative impact. Someone buys those shares and they say, okay, you don't want to, you're probably selling them at a discount because you don't want them for this reason. You want to get rid of them. They have little value to you. I'll buy them at a discount and I will profit. What I'm trying to say is that that has little impact on the result he's trying to achieve it, it it's just it's a cheap non-effective route to and and he this is really bothered me he likened the situation to what happened in south africa that in south africa that the boycott was effective in enforcing a regime change down there which has a lot of truth to it but trying to compare fossil the fossil industry to mm. the evils that happened in south africa well it does two things first of all anyone that's associated with the fossil industry that work in it that provide and 
I am full of gratitude when, for example, I can take my vehicle and go shopping. Now, so pavement outside, I feel gratitude for that. The couch that I'm sitting on, everything that we do yeah. is done because of energy. And energy has to come from somewhere. And for us to tar, tar is ben. an entire industry, tar is to paint black, you know, to paint black, an entire industry for our sins as consumers of their products is such a reverse twist. You're not taking any responsibility for the benefits, the use, the gratitude you should have for everything that we have here. You know, it, it wasn't magical. And today, thank God, we still have lots of people in the fossil fuel industry that are making this possible. Yeah. The creation of the phone that I'm on, they are part of our fabric. And if you start tarring them with a brush, like, no, don't even buy their shares. You know, they're stranded assets. They're evil. Well, you're the consumer yeah. of the evil, and you're the beneficiary of evil. Can you do something more constructive than that? So what would be something more constructive? Really? really? What can they do? The constructive thing would be to say, look, civilization's been around for lots and lots of years, millennia, more than that. And throughout millennia, we've conducted a lot of experiments, social experiments. Many of them have worked. Most of them have failed. You know, what patterns can we see here that can help us in the future? That might apply to this. Well, we're talking about energy. Okay. We've moved from lower densities of energy to higher densities of energy. So we started out with wood, mm -hmm. then we went to coal, animal oils, you know, it, 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 we, we kept moving up and we got denser and denser. Then we got oil and gas, which yes. are just like, amazing in terms of from a science viewpoint in the energy density that that we achieve and then we moved into nuclear which was even a bigger jump and then when we realized that we're poisoning the planet we said oh well and this goes back to a time when renewables weren't the same as clean energy. <laughs> this was after, you know, most of us had experienced the Gulf oil crisis. We knew that we needed when energy, we needed the ability to, in terms of the, well, I think that was the early 70s, roughly, when we had the, the energy crisis. But anyway, the uh, price of gas just shooting through the roof we were astounded, you know, this could happen. And um, 
then we went into, well, we have to get renewables because oil eventually is going to run out. So then we started getting into chopping down trees and shipping them off to power plants. And the crazy thing that we're doing with farmland, turning good farmland for food into a feedstock for gasoline. And that was the renewable part of, you know, it's natural, it's good. Like using a, a corn and, and yeah. to, to make oil, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, and then we realized that wasn't really a good idea. And then we said, okay, we better get after um, more dams. We better get after windmills, solar. And we made good progress there. But the, the piece that's been lacking, as you probably know, is the storage piece. And even if we did have, I mean, if you look at the amount of energy in terms of energy unit joules is a scientific term for a chunk of measurable energy. If we wanted to, we could never really approach anything with wind power and dams that would replace everything that we do right now with our carbon intensive approach. So, you know, it feels good to drive hybrid. It feels good to belong to the Green Party in terms of you're, you're signaling your intention about the world. It feels good to do many of these things because they inherently feel right and, and natural and kind to the earth. But beyond that, you know, who was that chap? Michael Moore. I'm sure you know of his film that came out. That it was about the environmental movement. But in any event, uh. it was a critique of the environmental movement. And, and he's a left-leaning liberal filmmaker, very much anti-gun, very socially active. And he called out the results of some of these initiatives, you know, the solar farms that fail, the wind farms, the, not, not that they failed to produce energy, but if you look at the total environmental cost of producing the solar cells, the wind farms, and so on, then it becomes a different equation. If you drive a Prius in Nelson, uh, and you drive maybe 400 kilometers a year, and you think you're doing good <laughs> because you're driving a Prius, are you really? If you think about the environmental cost of all the additional things right. that had to be made for your car to make that work, probably not. If you're driving a, a pure electric vehicle, and you believe that, well, you're probably very fortunate in Nelson because your power rates are so low because you have your own dam. <laughs> you, you modeled your own environment so that you could have cheap power. Genius. <laughs> Do you feel a gratitude in your room when you, when you turn on the light and it turns on? Do you feel no, a gratitude at the dam that helped you do that? Exactly. Most of us don't. We never feel gratitude for energy. 
I do feel gratitude for energy in the wintertime. But I also feel, you know, conflicted in, in using energy for its high environmental cost. But it's all around us. It's, it's part of everything that we do. Yeah, you know, it's similar to, you probably camp some of the time, right, with, with your family. You know that feeling that you get when you're in a tent? that's dry and there's a freaking huge rainstorm coming down the gratitude <laughs> yeah. that you have for that yeah. piece of nylon that you know a piece of that piece of plastic that's hanging over you um i know most of us don't think of well yeah it's a plastic but i i i should feel gratitude right so what are you saying because it it's so I, I wish that the environmental movement as a whole would not tar people that are in the fossil industry because I, I think they deserve a certain amount of gratitude for what they deliver to, uh, to us in value today. Now I know we can do better oh. and they know that we can okay. do better. Yeah. yeah. You said something 20. was the missing piece and I, and I'm, I wasn't sure I, I, I got it. The missing piece of the, uh, it was about the energy. Um, it says from lowering density to higher density. And then we re realize that the renewable is not really renewable so much. It's also oh yeah, has lots of problems. Yeah. But what is the missing piece? I, I missed you there. I, I apologize. I didn't. I'm rambling a lot because I, I love going off track. So the, the missing piece is that we should have never really put so many of our hopes into wind and and renewables and in dams because i mean now they've discovered probably in the last couple of years it's becoming more accepted that dams cause global warming also because the the they, they are a heat capture and so they retain heat and um, rather than radiate back out to the cosmos. What I was getting to was that we need to look mm -hmm. at patterns of what's worked and what hasn't worked and, and tendency and, and, and work on those. So I'm going to maybe go back to a question you asked. What would I have done differently in terms of what this activist at McMaster was, was trying to achieve or was achieving? I think I would ask myself, what has worked in the past? And most of the really, really difficult problems, and I think, you know, global warming fossil fuels is a really, really difficult problem. It's not a simple problem. Um, we'd like to think it is, but we know it, most of us know it, it isn't. So, Wait what a minute. Worked what in worked past? in the past to change the oil and gas industry? What worked in the past to reduce emissions? What worked in the past in terms of 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 moving the energy industry and by by that I mean civilization because you can't separate the energy yeah. industry from um, civilization. We are yeah. pure energy, you know. The, the food that we eat, 
is energy, right? And the food comes from other energy, whether it's the tractor or the sun or whatever. It's it's all energy that we're we're recycling. It's rather obvious. I, I, again, I think that um, if we were to do something constructive, we should do something along the trend line, and that's to go to mm -hmm. denser forms of energy. Because as a species, um, we're unlikely to regulate our population size. We're going to continue to expand until it gets so uncomfortable that people will self-regulate and not have children anymore. To go back to the McMaster uh, fellow, if he was um, on that path, he would say maybe to himself, being in a technical world, you know, I think nuclear makes a lot of sense. They, they need a lot of steel. He was learning I, probably structural or, or a similar uh, engineer, mechanical engineer, I don't know which, um, or maybe metallurgy. In any event, he said, well, maybe I should direct myself. I have a talent for science. I got into this thing, uh, into this faculty because I, I'm good at science. So maybe um, what I should do is become a fantastic nuclear scientist because I will have a more likely to have a greater effect on the future of humanity and mankind by providing a solution to the most pressing problem that we have. Okay. Do you think... So Alex, I'm guessing you're saying that and suggesting him how to be more effective because you want to see a better result in the climate action. But do we really need more? Yeah. Um, we know we know that um, humans, your, your husband's in, in software, and, um, and actually I am too. That makes us more left brain than right brain. Um, and you are, I think by nature, probably in terms of what you're doing here and, and the nurturing of your family, um, and the kindness that I see in your communications, um, more of a right brain person. I could be wrong. Um, okay. And I'm sorry if I'm classifying because it's a spectrum, right? It's so from, when you say right, more emotional, the, it, it's when a, you, write, you, you can't write say emotional fully or, there. Or, what, what does it mean, right and left? Well, the right, the right brain. Um, is part of the brain that is yes more <clears throat> emotional deals with relationships um deals with um chaos uh trying to make sense out of chaos um and the left brain is um more procedural it's it's more codified in terms of if this then do that um logical if you will right but it's more logical you know, rational what we think of a rational versus an emotion in any event um so to, to get back to um but he's in software and you're in software that, um 
yeah so so we we tend to probably think more in terms of technology and technology terms, solutions and you know mechanical terms yeah things you know we, we're creators we love creating things like everyone everyone is an artist you know we're born into the world to create and some of us create through things and some of us create yeah. through relationships and um collaboration cohesiveness nurturing you know the what we think of as a classical maternal uh instincts that that we as a species have alex it feels like you are going a bit off track and it's hard to follow maybe explain this right and re- left brain in terms of what we're talking about so yes so our ego which is our sense of self that controls everything that our brain puts out um essentially is, is like a traffic cop it's trying to uh regulate our you know our rational responses with our emotional responses and hopefully come up with a good solution in the case of the environmental movement it's very easy to understand that someone that wants to nurture would be more likely to be an environmentalist whether that is um through a maternal instinct or whether it's just through a very strong connection to nature because many of us and i think this has been shown through studies um it's it's known that nature is is a solution for many for many psychological problems you know we can yeah. we can sort out a lot of things by going through a walk uh or or we need to be connected you know we need to let go of our ego which makes everything bigger than it really is and um just be part of the you want to get you know, I don't quite understand your point here you're talking about the nurturing capacity of people that are more left brain and may be prone to love nature and be environmentalists that sounds awesome uh, so where's the problem Are you saying that environmentalists are less rational? Um, I, and I, and I don't know a lot. I just, um, I look at things with hopefully a, a more balanced lens than if, if I didn't, um, spend some time thinking mm-hmm. about it. Well, and it, that makes sense, you know, that that's the way it should be. Um, the, But the one thing that I've noticed, and, and this almost seems um, antithetical, um, and that is that in nature, we have essentially um, what appears to be harmony when we look around us, but underneath there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of there's a lot of communication going on between the different parties of of nature we, we have you know trees that are communicating with other trees through their root systems we have soils and fungi that are part of 
the system that are communicating with other parts of the system. There is a huge amount of communication going on. And there is a huge amount of um, creation and destruction going on at the same time. And I think the reason it works so well is it doesn't have any rules. It doesn't have, it doesn't have, it, it's a self-organizing organism. The whole planet is, you know, the, the Gaia principle that um, the planet can heal itself if left to its own devices. If humans weren't part of the equation. Um, and that, so there's a, a rebalancing going on all the time. There are, there are wars going on all the time. Um, there's winners and losers. Uh, nature, you know, is, is cruel. Um, it, it has predators and, and with, it has tribes. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't choose equal outcomes. It doesn't choose fairness. It's quite brutal in, in, in how... You're talking about unfairness in nature and the cruelty. And I hear some anger even you try to remain very rational about it. What disturbs me is that, that many environmentalists tend to have views that are on the left side of the, the, the spectrum that, you know, that they, they would prefer um, redistribution of, of wealth over responsibility for um, being a creator and, and contributing to society. They advocate equality, um, not just, a quality of opportunity, but quality of outcomes. And that doesn't happen in nature. What, what is it about us as a species that dictates that we should have equal outcomes for people? Mm. Now, that, that's not suggesting that we should have a safety net for people. We, we desperately need to do that. Um, but that, that doesn't also mean that everyone is entitled to, you know, a fraction of, of Jeff Bezos' fortune, which they might eagerly say, well, that's a solution, though. That would work for me. <laughs> um, you know, that's certainly an easy solution, but it's not a very effective solution. Um, so... I, 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 I don't understand their, on the one hand, they will say, I love nature. Uh, I have a lot of gratitude for it. I want to nurture it. That's all good. That's wonderful. I wish we were all like that. But on the other hand, they say the solution is all corporations are evil. We get rid of corporations. We get rid of capital. We uh, make huge changes overnight in our society. A revolution, as in drastic changes, as in many victims and many victors. That is not 
how nature works. It's to come up with rules and regulations and more complexity, which invites more gaming of that complexity by experts. Uh, we just go down a black hole. I think nature has so much to teach to us in terms of what works. You know, your voice is quite soft and nurturing. And I wonder, do you resist this quality in you? Like you're talking against the nurturing quality. And also, I, my background is Chinese medicine. And Chinese medicine is all based on how nature works. And the old Chinese, when they looked at nature and ob observed nature, they had different conclusions. They did not talk about cruelty. The old Chinese saw the relationship between nature and the human bodies, and they observed the five elements, metal, wood, fire, wind, earth, in the world, and how those elements are r represented in our bodies. And they thought that it's super important to keep the body, because otherwise we're going out of balance, and that causes disease and pain. They got completely different conclusions. And also that the human bodies and nature are connected and influencing each other. And the healthier our environment is, the healthier we are. You know, so that makes me wonder about our conclusions about nature. What makes us prioritize one thought over the other? What makes us prioritize connection versus cruelty or cruelty versus connection? And why one makes more sense to us than the other? What in our intuition says this is true. That's right. Thank you. Um, you're, you're a very kind and, and empathic, understanding. You're a good listener. And I, I didn't know I could talk that long. I never have. <laughs> <laughs>